Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This is God's word. Amen. Please take a seat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time together. Lord, we pray that you would give us the eyes and ears of faith as we come now to your holy word. Lord, we pray that you would raise up for yourself a people who will commit themselves to guarding your gospel for the salvation of the lost and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, as we've just read out, we're looking this morning at the book of 2 Timothy in the last few verses of chapter 1. And this short letter by Paul is essentially a passing of the baton from one ministry leader to another. It's almost like 2 Timothy is a changing of the guard ceremony. Here is Paul, the old guard, the grizzled veteran, the one who has served as a faithful soldier in the Lord's army for nearly half of his life, coming to the end of his shift, and he is now being relieved of his post by young Timothy, the new guard. And what we have in the book of 2 Timothy is Paul passing on instruction to this young soldier in training so that he might be ready and able to serve Jesus faithfully in his own day and among his own generation the way Paul did in his. And so that is the burden of 2 Timothy as a whole and also for our passage this morning. Uh, The Lord is wanting us as a church to grab the baton of service to the Lord Jesus Christ so that we too may be faithful in our own generation. And the particular burden on Paul's mind and heart in the passage before us this morning is that if we are to faithfully serve Jesus, then we must be a people who answer God's call to guard the gospel. So we will see three things in God's word this morning that will help us understand what it means to guard the gospel. Number one, the strategy that God has given to us for guarding the gospel. Number two, the stewardship that comes with guarding the gospel, and then finally, the stakes that come with whether or not we choose as a church and as God's people to guard the gospel. So first, the strategy that God has given us for guarding the gospel. This is verse 13 and part of verse 14 in our passage. If we are going to be those who serve God faithfully in our own generation by guarding the gospel— then we need to be those who have the content of the gospel right, carrying that content with the right attitude, and relying on the right source of strength to carry out the task. Right content, right attitude, and right strength. If we're going to be people who guard the gospel in our own generation and serve the Lord Jesus faithfully, we need to be a people who are increasingly wise in our understanding of the message of the gospel. This is what Paul has in mind at the beginning of verse 13 when he says, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me. The Apostle Paul knew that he had been entrusted with apostolic authority from Christ himself 
to write and preach the very word of God. And young Timothy had often heard Paul teaching and preaching. So Paul says to him, What you heard from me, the pattern of the sound words that I put before you and before others, this is what I want you to follow. This is what I want you to hold fast to in your teaching and in your preaching. In other words, guard the gospel by sharing the right content of the gospel, the sound words, and only get your content of the gospel from the authoritative word of God. Timothy, if you're wondering what message you are supposed to share, don't look anywhere else for source material other than the sound words that carry the authority of God found in his word. And Paul encourages this to Timothy and also to us because since the dawn of creation, the evil one has been tempting the world to stray away from their heavenly father through the twisting and the distorting and the debasing of the word of God. This is what happens in the Garden of Eden when the serpent comes to talk to Eve. One of the first things that the deceiver does is he takes the word of God and he distorts it, changing its entire meaning with just a little twist. And this has been happening in every generation since. Paul knows that when the fear of God runs low and the fear of man runs high, there is a great temptation to be ashamed of the gospel. And therefore, to take the contents of the message and think in our own minds that we can make the message more presentable or more readily acceptable if only we tell ourselves and others what it is that we really want to hear. But if we are going to serve Christ faithfully in our own generation and guarding the gospel, we must commit ourselves to getting the message right. Christ died to save sinners. Amen. Christ died not only because of his love for us, but also because sin is costly and God is holy. And even as we oppose God in our sin, so God in his righteousness stands in opposition to our sin. Christ had to die for sinners if there would ever be a way of salvation. And yet Christ died for sinners. He did not die for people who slip up every once in a while, but are actually, for the most part, pretty decent people. No. He died for rebels. He died for the sick. He died for those in slavery and bondage to sin. He died to accomplish what he alone could accomplish. If the gospel is to be guarded, then we must fight to get the message, the content of the gospel, right. This is what God has in mind for his people if they're going to serve him faithfully in their own generation. But God's strategy to his people and how he wants them to guard the gospel is not only get the content of the message right, but he also wants his messengers to have the right attitude. And this is what Paul is getting at at the end of verse 13 when he says, In the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I imagine that until Christ returns, there will always be some people who will say that the church's main focus should be on loving people, not on having the right content or doctrine. And yet on the other side, there will always be some who will say that the church's main focus should be on having the right content, even if it means we have to be a little bit cold and unloving. But God's word never makes right content and right attitude an either-or choice. 
Having right doctrine without the right attitude would be like walking into a beautiful library full of the world's greatest books. And yet the room is so cold that if anyone comes to visit, they can't stand to be in there for longer than a few minutes. What a waste of access to beautiful knowledge. And yet having the right attitude, well, let's just love people to Jesus without right and true content would be like standing on a beautiful white beach on a warm sunny day without ever realizing that actually the ground beneath your feet is sinking sand. It would be a lovely place to be, but not for long. If we are going to answer God's call to guard the gospel and be faithful in serving Christ in our own day, we need to make sure that we draw lines in the sand on the content of the saving gospel message And yet we also need to make sure that we let the truth of the content of the message to work its way down into our own hearts so that we might be a people that have a growing love for Christ and a growing love for other people. If this would be true of us, what a people we would be. We'd be like a beautiful library with a roaring fire in the fireplace, which sounds like a wonderful place to me to go. Or if you prefer... Uh, We would be like a warm, sunny day in seaside Florida where the ground beneath our feet would be solid as a rock. But not only does God's strategy for us and our call to guard the gospel include having the right content with the right attitude, but also making sure that we are employing the right source of strength. And this is what Paul has in mind in verse 14 when he says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. If our guarding of the gospel had been left up to us to do in our own strength, there is no way that any of us would have been wise enough or humble enough or had enough courage to keep the message of the gospel from being diluted. Because of what precedes uh, this phrase in verse 13, I think what Paul has in mind by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that he is piggybacking off of some of Jesus' teaching on what the Holy Spirit actually does in the lives of God's people. Namely... If the Holy Spirit is dwelling in you, if you have received Christ by faith, then the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth, specifically the truth of the content of the gospel. And he will take that truth and he'll apply it to your mind and your heart to transform your character from the inside out. If you ever have a moment of piercing clarity that you know that Christ alone is your hope, if you have a moment of piercing clarity where you know that you desperately need the cross of Christ, you can know that the Holy Spirit is at work inside of your mind and your heart, convincing you and persuading you about the truth of the content of the gospel. And if you receive that gospel message as truth and allow it to transform your life and begin to shape your life around the fact that the gospel and God's word is actually true and applying it, then you can know that the Spirit is at work applying the truth of scripture. Ultimately, we know that God will guard his gospel. This is his gospel. It's his plan to save sinners through Christ, and it all brings glory to his name. He will ensure that the work is faithfully carried out, but his means for doing so, the strategy that God employs to make sure that the message of the gospel is made clear and presented in all its beauty and every generation is by raising up people who will say, I am not strong nor wise in and of myself, but I am willing to receive from the Lord that which he will give to me from his word. 
I will receive it as absolutely true, and I will live as if it is absolutely true. This is the posture of a gospel-guarding believer who depends upon the Holy Spirit. As the old hymn put it, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. I am weak, but you are mighty. Hold me with your powerful hand. So this is God's strategy against those who might distort and twist the saving gospel message of Christ. His people holding fast to the right content of the gospel. Christ died to save sinners. Holding it with the right attitude. We're people who believe the gospel. Therefore, we have an increasing love for Christ and an increasing love for other people. And doing it resourced by the right source of strength, the Holy Spirit guiding us into all truth and shaping and forming us according to that truth. But Paul goes on from God's strategy for our guarding of the gospel and moves then to the great stewardship that comes with guarding the gospel. Why should any of us care about this idea of guarding the gospel? What's the difference to us? It's God's gospel. He's going he's to do it. Why, why should any of us pick up the baton and be willing to say that we will We will pick up the post and be those who guard the gospel in our own day. The reason that Paul gives why we should do these things is because if we have believed the gospel and received the Christ whom the gospel reveals, then a great and heavenly accountability has fallen upon us. Paul tells Timothy that the saving gospel message of Christ is a good deposit that has been entrusted To him, to be a hearer and receiver of the good deposit of the gospel. That God sent his son into the world to be crucified in order that sinners like us might be saved means that we have now become receivers of a great and awesome treasure. What a gift it is to those who hear the message of Christ. What a privilege it is to be able to receive the King of kings and Lord of lords and to know him and the power of his resurrection. It is a tragedy of the human heart and of our temptation towards sin to be so enthralled with the things of this world that when it comes time to hear of Christ, when the most worthy treasure in all the world, the saving gospel message, is presented to us and then we hear the costly call of discipleship, and accountability that comes with it. And we balk at the idea of surrendering our time and surrendering our money and surrendering our status as if we are nearly clueless to the precious worth of the treasure that we have received in Christ when we receive the message of the gospel. Oh, beloved, do you know who you have in Jesus? The great John Newton once put it this way, As by the light of opening day, the stars are all concealed. So earthly pleasures fade away when Jesus is revealed. There is a great stewardship in the receiving of the gospel that manifests itself 
and our willingness to step up and say with the Apostle Paul, whatever it might cost me personally, I will count all else as loss if only I might guard the purity and clarity and the beauty of the saving gospel message of Jesus Christ because in that message I have found the one whose worth outweighs all the most attractive treasures in all the world. Oh, beloved, may we see him as he actually is. And so we have God's strategy for guarding the gospel. We have the immense and great stewardship that comes with guarding the gospel. And finally, we have the stakes we are facing and whether or not we actually answer the call to guard the gospel. And this is verses 15 to 18. In verse 15, Paul illustrates what happens when the gospel is not guarded through the example of Phygelus and Hermogenes, or Fig and Herm, as I've been calling them in my head all week. Apparently, after Paul was arrested because of his commitment to guarding the gospel, there was a large defection of people who, quote, turned away. And this is the grave consequence that comes when God's people do not guard the gospel. When the message of the gospel is distorted or twisted or not properly applied or not treasured above all else, one of the fruits that comes from that are a bunch of would-be followers of Jesus who, when times get tough, turn away. The text doesn't say whether or not these people turned away from Christ himself, which of course would be the greatest tragedy of all, or if they just simply turned away from Paul. Either way, because the gospel was not guarded, the enemy won some ground in the situation that verse 15 describes because best case scenario, these people who turned away merely turned away from Paul and thus were at some level rendered spiritually impotent for the cause of the advancement of the gospel in their own generation. Because they didn't guard the gospel, they were sidelined from the work of advancing the gospel. And in their temptation, they were led to turn away. What a tragedy it would be to have come to believe at some point in your life in the saving message of the gospel, to receive Christ. And then, because you never committed yourself to the guarding of the gospel, to knowing the content and having convictions where you draw the line in the sand, And letting the truth of the gospel permeate your heart and your mind in a way that transforms your character. What a tragedy it would be to not guard that gospel in your own life personally. And then you slowly, slowly, slowly drift away. Thinking of yourself as safe and secure. And all the while you have become spiritually powerless. And the enemy relaxes their case against you because they no longer see you as a threat. The high stakes that are on the table and whether or not we as God's people choose to guard the gospel are the stakes of continuing to persevere even when tempted to be more fearful of man and ashamed of the gospel or turning away from a life of witnessing and serving Christ and becoming spiritually ineffective and fruitless. I wonder where you've been lately, if that's you. May it not be so of us. But in verses 16 to 18, Paul illustrates what happens when the gospel is guarded through the example of Onesiphorus. Or as the voice text on my phone translated, I miss the forest. 
If the gospel is guarded, what is the good that comes from it? Well, for one, if we guard the gospel, then we will persevere. Even if the days of being a Christian in our own country get darker, as many are predicting, uh, is inevitable and quickly approaching. Paul says that Onesiphorus was not ashamed of Paul's chains. He wasn't afraid to continue to associate with Paul, even though there would now be a social status cost to doing so. Will this be true of us when the content of the gospel is undermined and rejected in our own day? If we guard the gospel, we will persevere. Paul also says that Onesiphorus often refreshed Paul. Literally, he was like a breath of fresh air. And once again, this is the fruit that comes from guarding the gospel. When gospel-guarding believers lock arms with each other, the gospel continues to have a transformative effect on their heart and life in such a way that they spur one another on to continue to persevere through their encouraging friendship with one another. This is the beauty of Christian community of people who are believing the content of the gospel and letting the gospel transform their life. Believers locking arms with one another and being breaths of fresh air to one another saying, come on, let's go. Let's keep going. You can do it. Even though times are getting hard. And so are we, beloved, being a breath of fresh air to one another. Are we spurring one another on in our friendship with each other to continue to guard the gospel? Because if we're doing that, then this will be one of the fruits that comes with it. Finally, Paul mentions how spiritually fruitful Onesiphorus has been at the end of verse 18. He was a man who served the church. Once again, this is the fruit that comes from the life of a gospel-guarding believer. When you guard the gospel in your own life and you commit yourself to that task, one of the fruits that will come is that you will be spiritually effective, bearing fruit in the life of the church among God's people as you serve Christ. And so this is the call of God's word to us from this passage this morning. Will you, dear Christian, answer the call to guard the gospel? Will you buy into God's strategy of protecting the right content of the message with the right attitude of faith and love by the right source of strength that comes from the Spirit of God? Will you embrace the accountability of the stewardship that comes with being entrusted with so great a treasure? You've heard the message. Do you see its worth? And will you consider the stakes that are on the table and weigh them carefully as you decide whether or not you will embrace the post and take up your shift in your own generation to guard the gospel? Arise, O church, be on your guard, lest nations shall be lost. No time to sit back passively. Arise, lift up the cross. May we be a gospel-guarding people. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. O 
Oh, Lord, may it bear fruit in our minds and our hearts. Oh, God, we pray that you would raise up a people, even this morning, who will commit themselves to guarding your beautiful and precious gospel. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.